Hello. My name is Dina Schottenkirk, and this is Talk Popsy, Philosophers Ontological Party Club. Thank you very much for coming here to 5020 Gallery in Salzburg. And for the record, your name is? Christopher Galker. Wonderful. And you are? A well-known philosopher we dragged in here to talk about your stuff, right? We're so grateful. Thanks. I don't need to talk about my stuff. No, no, we want to because <laughs> this project is is topic-based, right? Mm -hmm. What I do is topic-based. And so the topic that we're doing here in Salzburg is artist cognition, which is another way of saying it, the epistemic value of art. Some people interpret it very ordinarily who come into the tent about what kind of art do you like and what do you value about art. You can do that if you want, but I would really like you to talk about what you think the epistemic value of art is, how art might convey some epistemic processes to us. Hmm. Well, you mean graphic art, first of all. Well, not necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. I know that you know, you've written about sort of the value of sort of imagistic data and the arguments against content and propositions right. and belief. And, and I think, I want to hear what you have to say. I think you probably uh, right. are going to say everything I've always well, wanted to say. Let me, I mean, I'm confronting this question for the first time. I want to know what you get up, want to get out of it. I am I, interested in imagistic cognition. One of my theses in philosophy is that people's capacity to solve problems by means of mental imagery has been neglected in philosophy. Philosophers have tended to think of uh, cognition on the model of reasoning from propositions and drawing propositions as conclusions, yeah. putting forward hypotheses as propositions to explain phenomena and so forth. But I think we often solve problems by means of mental imagery. An example I often use is replacing a faulty washer in a faucet. So I might have a faucet that's leaking. I've never taken this faucet apart before, but I can take my wrench and my screwdriver and just start taking things apart. And I can remember the parts that I take apart as I take them apart and remember in what order I took them apart. I don't have names for these things or I have only very generic names for them like ring or handle or something like that. There are many rings, there are many screws. I don't have words to differentiate between the different kinds of screws that go into it. And then I can, after I replace the faulty washer, I can use this sort of mental movie that I've created as I took the faucet apart and played in reverse in order to put the faucet back together the, the way it was. Thank you for that example. I was a plumber when I was young, so I was perfectly happy with that example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, 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 it permeates our daily lives. If I pick up my jacket and try to figure out which hole to stick my arm through, mm -hmm. I'm using images of cognition. Mm -hmm. Make sure my right arm goes through the right armhole and not through the left armhole. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, navigation uh, involves images of cognition. You uh, picture where, where yeah. what, what route you're going to take and try to make sure that you actually see the things you imagine seeing and the route you planned out in your imagination. So I think that... Um, but. But I don't immediately see a way of using that fact about cognition that I want to emphasize in philosophy as a tool for better understanding the nature of art or our appreciation of art. Um, Can I throw a possibility yeah. in? Okay, so in that story that you gave about the plumbing, since yeah. I'm so fond of that topic, right? So in that story... We don't necessarily have to have words for these things, but we understand them in context with one another. So they have a kind of relationship with one another, and they make a kind of whole scene 
story that then fits together. And when we look at art, I think that I think that because so much of the parsing of art mm -hmm. is of low level information mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have to rise to a semantic mm -hmm. level, mm -hmm. that we understand those bits of low level information in that same kind of large contextual format. And we understand the causal relationships, we understand the mm -hmm. patterns, mm -hmm. and that that kind of cognition mm -hmm. then operates on that level, which is not the same thing as, as a conceptually derived semantic kind of description. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that sound plausible? Well, uh, yes, let me try to elaborate in my own way. Um, so a part of what uh, uh, imagistic cognition involves is constructing a three-dimensional model of the world on the basis of these uh, retinal stimulations. Mm -hmm. And you can do that on the basis of um, your understanding of good form, so you uh, understand that if you're holding a a spoon that the, uh, the the finger part of your finger that you can't see behind the sea spoon is um, is connected by straight lines <laughs> uh, a straight line connects the parts of the finger that you can't see behind the spoon uh, or and so the invariance uh, problem is solved yeah. well you, you you use you use considerations of symmetry and good form uh, oftentimes in in constructing uh, a representation of the parts of the scene that aren't reflecting light into your eyes, but also just your uh, knowledge of the what kinds of objects there are in the world can enable you to do that. So you know from past experiences that automobiles are symmetrical along the length dimension, and so and you can use that knowledge uh, to imagine to yourself what the car looks like from the other side. It looks the same from the other side, only you see the mirror image if you were on the other side. So, so, so there's a lot of um, knowledge, um, both geometrical knowledge and real-world knowledge, that goes into um, understanding what is out there on the basis of the, uh, uh, the sensory stimulation of your retina. And that knowledge isn't easily expressed in words or concepts because we don't have words that are very effective in, in, in describing sh shapes and, and, and gradable qualities like length and, and hue and size and jerkiness of motion and things like this. And so there's a whole uh, sort of realm of cognitive capacities and understandings that we use in, in seeing an image. And it may be part of, the, of our appreciation of some kinds of arts that they... Um, induce uh, this kind of mental activity and we find that somehow pleasurable. So uh, you might um, look at a picture at, and it might be sort of ambiguous at first. You don't, can't tell, well, which surfaces represent, which color patches represent surfaces that are nearer and which color patches represent surfaces that are farer. You have to, that are, that are further away. You have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And um, just like it's just as much as people like solving problems, yeah. solving that little visual problem can be uh, appealing to us. Yeah. So uh, Aristotle said, yeah. What did he say? In the metaphysics, right, as they say right at the beginning, learning is pleasurable to us. Yeah, yeah. Something right, like that, right? Right, right. We just kind of like to figure things right, out, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. That, but I don't suppose that that is... Uh, I don't think so. that, yeah, you're what right. happens in every case. That yeah. Some kinds of art might... Uh, uh, Sort of that purpose, um, but um, I, um, so. But beyond that, I'm not really sure what how this interest of mine in interest in images of cognition contributes contributes something to the understanding of 
visual arts. I, I myself don't think that when I'm looking at a painting, I'm um, usually trying to relate it to myself in some way. I often just uh, uh, appreciate the interesting um, uh, geometry of the thing that is depicted um, <clears throat> and uh, find it pleasurable to, uh, uh, to look at that. So you can have an experience of visual arts that is sort of abstracted from the content, what is depicted there, yeah. a battle scene or a marriage or... Uh, you know, uh, saints in a procession, um, and just um, reflects an interest in the shapes, the forms. Um, you, you might find it an interesting arrangement of surfaces. And for, for me, that's often what it's about. But of course, I can also uh, appreciate art in other ways. Sometimes, you know, a battle scene is depicted and you want to know what battle this was and why it was so significant in yeah. history and why, what interest uh, the painter had in painting this. Or you see a, picture, a painting of Napoleon on a horse and you wonder, you know, um, why this painting was painted and what, fun what function it played in, in uh, Napoleon's... Um, you know, building of myths around himself. Uh, so you can take a historical perspective on these things too and, and, and look at these things as you know, contributions to human history. Uh, All right, so you just named, like, I think sort of was three different kind of ways that you could process work. And the first one seemed to be what I would call the low-level information, right? The shapes, the colors, mm -hmm. the textures, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of those things. That could that be it, enough. Sometimes. That could be enough. I agree. That can be enough, right? The next one was what it was depicting. So the reference mm -hmm. function of it, mm -hmm. right? So it is mm -hmm. pointing to Napoleon, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was the potentially, right? The historical narrative that's being told. Right. Right. So narrative was the third one. Yeah. Right? Well, I wasn't thinking of the recognition of the objects as having any interest in itself at all. The second one. I, yeah, it's the, the interest in the what is depicted, I was representing that. I don't say there isn't, there aren't others, but I was representing that as, uh, as, as uh, of interest because it poses the question, uh, what is this about? So it takes you to three. And then there are, there are yeah, others, yeah, there yeah. are others. So I, 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 I think those are the things that I, I tend to be most interested in. Other people I know are more interested in eliciting an emotional reaction to uh, to to what is depicted, or to the depiction itself, I I, I myself don't feel that that's what I'm in it for. Generally. Yeah, 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 I don't either. So tell me why you don't think so. Uh, and tell me what you think about the word emotion. You know, Suzanne Langer got criticized a lot for using the word feeling, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know what the criticism was. Um, the criticism was that it sort of takes you too much into psychology, mm. right? I think that was sort of the basis of the criticism. And, it's, and I think the words feeling and emotion are really kind of hard words in some ways. It's well, a fair criticism. What I would want to avoid is the assumption that, um, that we're always interested in ourselves. That the only thing we're really interested in is ourselves. And... Mm. Uh, one one type of person That's might really want to get an emotion out of a piece of art because they're primarily interested in themselves, and I'm not like that. Uh, I, I I would rather uh, you know. Um, Can I give that yeah, back to you until yeah. you've got that right? Right. So, 
It seems to me that what you're saying is that the problem with using the word feeling and emotion in art is that it pulls us into kind of a narcissistic... Yeah. yeah. Is that the, is yeah, it too strong a term? Well, I don't know if I want to defend that, but that was a thought that I was expressing. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going down this road with you, right? Uh-huh. But that what it's doing is sort of an, a, a kind of narcissistic, oh, it makes me feel this way. Whereas I think, right, yeah. and I'm going to add my thought on top yeah. of yours and you tell me if I'm being too yeah. obstreperous here. Yeah. I think that what we're really doing that's so pleasurable in art is actually bringing somebody else into our narcissistic world. And so that what art manages to do is to give us the sort of first-person perspective of another person. And so, in fact, what art can do epistemically is sort of take us out of our narcissistic Hmm. world. Well, do I have then to think now, about the mental state that? of the artist? In, in, no, in I know that. that that's the worry, right? Do I have to actually interpret the intention of the artist? Hmm, I don't think so. It's it's actually a really messy topic. I'm sure you know that, right? But I think that when when we're looking at an artwork, in some ways, we're not looking at a pure description of the artist's intention. Because what we're also looking at is the meaning that's been overlaid on that particular artist by all of the critics and other viewers. Because when you look at Van Gogh, you're not just looking at what Van Gogh meant. You're looking at what everyone else thinks Van Gogh meant, right? So it's this compilation of meaning that's been piled on top of it. The artist intention... you know, I've taught painting a lot in my life, and yeah. sometimes, you know, you, you'll say to a student, oh, you might have meant that, but that doesn't come across, right? And the student kind of realizes, oh, yeah, that was my intention, but I didn't really get through. Yeah. Other times you can say, maybe you didn't mean this, but this is what's coming across. Yeah. And either the, the student slash artist owns up to that communication, mm-hmm. or they don't. Mm-hmm. The good artist kind of hones the product so that it, to some degree, is in concert with their intention. But it's not an isomorphic match, because there is this overlay of meaning from the critics and the viewers. Yeah. Was that at all um, fair? Well, let's see. I mean, of course, um, sometimes art, especially modern art, is really only understandable in the context of the art world. Um, right. If something is um, a reaction to the rest of the art world. Someone decides, well, I'm not interested in the third dimension anymore. I'm only going to paint in two dimensions or something like that. Uh, and, and, and that, and they can do that because it hasn't been done before. Um, and they just want to explore something that hasn't been done before. And if you, if you didn't understand that, um, you might be inclined to dismiss it as just the work, you know, a child's play. It just might be a you know a drip of painting down. But because the then you won't understand the intention. Because uh, if you don't understand well, the history, say, well, I don't know. Put it in terms of the intention. I put it in terms of the. You put it in terms context, of the meaning, the, but that's the, context, the intention. The context of the art world as, yeah. as, a, as a contribution to a practice, as as. Uh, okay, I think we're saying the same as, thing. As as as, as uh, an ex- uh, if I haven't to use a German word here, an extension or erweiterung. Uh, of the of the of the of the extant practices, yeah. and but it's not, and what it contributes is that that ex- extension or expansion of the practice, and and this, the value isn't in, in the artist having an intention of some kind. And we're not interested. We're not. We don't need to recognize that in order to appreciate it as uh, a contribution to the. Can I argue with practice. you? Yeah. <laughs> 
But the intention of the artist at that moment was within that context and that conversation. Yeah, well, sure, they had the intention, yeah. but that doesn't mean that's what makes it valuable. So an uh, inventor who invents a radio for the first time had an intention, too, but that's not what makes the, 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 the radio valuable. Well, I, th I think they're different, though. Those are, those are not quite analogous, because what the artist is doing a lot of times, in your example, is within that conversation, I'm going to term it a conversation, not a context, within that conversation that we call art history, or the art world, right? That they are inserting a response to the historical context. Mm -hmm. So you have to know the larger historical context in order to know what that response is. So it's not an invention out of the blue, it's a response to a larger conversation. Let, let's go back to something else that I, oh, I, we, we lost track of that I, I wanted to say about um, emotion in art. Um, a, a lot of times, um, what is depicted is something that has emotional resonance for us. You, you know, it's a tragic episode, it's a tragic mm -hmm. scene, or a touching scene. Um, uh, and you have to recognize that in order to appreciate the painting, um, to, uh, in order to appreciate uh, um, the interest of the scene depicted and, and in order to recognize those features you have to be a human being you have to have had you have to have had experienced tragedy you have to have experienced touching episodes you, mm -hmm. so your own experience plays a role in this way but that's um, it, but it's not interesting because it, it elicits those emotions from you it's interesting because it uh, represents uh, a scene that has those features is tragic or is touching or whatever, and so I, I, in, even in that in that case, emotion is relevant, but not in in the manner that the viewer has to experience emotion, just in the manner that the viewer has to uh, recognize the emotional resonance that is depicted, and that presupposes uh, some acquaintance with these emotions, but it doesn't mean that in uh, looking at the at the at the piece, the person is himself or herself experiencing those emotions. So again, I'm trying to yeah. um, I'm trying to take the the, the perspective of the, of the viewer out of the act of appreciation, really, and put it into what is depicted. Can you pull that back somehow? In my head, I'm replaying the plumbing one, right? Yeah. Okay. So can <clears throat> we somehow put those two together? Well. Um, and well, then it would make the imagistic well, cognition I, I, relevant. I suppose. I mean, in that a lot of cases, uh, it, it, this this understanding of how things move and how things fit together will uh, be a prerequisite to your understanding of what's going on and what's being depicted. So, I mean, you only it's only it's because you've seen horses and how horses move that you can recognize that the static image, image of a horse is a picture of a horse in motion, mm -hmm. and that you know. Two combatants are about to collide, so it's you have this understanding of how objects move, which is part of imagistic cognition that enables you to understand what's going on in the picture, right? Yeah. And and um, and even when uh, the interest of what's going on in the picture is, is isn't just an interest in uh, shapes and, and, and forms and re uh, spatial relations and colors and so forth, uh, this will play a, a role in your ability to recognize what's going on there. Without images of cognition, you wouldn't, yeah. uh, philosophers never recognize this, but you, you wouldn't be able to um, uh, c c 
you, you need to use image recognition in order to classify things as well, in order to rec recognize uh, a picture as a picture of a battle scene, for example. All right, to bring emotion into the plumbing example, mm -hmm. which, when you, all mm -hmm. right, and I know I was watching for that expression because you're going, what? We have no emotion in plumbing, but you are wrong, right? Yeah. All right, so, <laughs> so when you take apart something like yeah. the sink, right? Yeah. You know, you were giving it in these very neutral terms. There's this thing and there's mm -hmm. that thing and there's that thing, mm -hmm. and it was about how they fit together. But there's also the pleasure of knowing how they fit together. Right. Yeah. So when you take something apart, there's also this sort of tactile yeah. Yeah. feeling, if yeah. you've ever done that, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, look, that thing comes apart, yeah. and that's there. And there's a huge... Uh, People action. like to put things together for no particular I purpose. I like them, you know, right? Jigsaw puzzles, Rubik right. cubes, right. Lego, Lego flowers, and things we like this. We like that tactile, yeah. Yeah. and supposedly texture is an incredibly important part of how we... We, we recognize peripheral vision is by texture, right? So mm -hmm. texture is like actually incredibly important to us. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of that, I think in some ways in the original sort of diagrams that you were drawing for us, there was almost a disjunct between the neutrality of the causal relations in the plumbing story and the sort of rich emotional things in looking at the painting. But I'm wondering if maybe they're not closer that the affordance quality that we have with every object that we interact with doesn't have embedded in it a push or a pull away from that object. And that what maybe the plumbing thing might... Yeah, well, I, th I mean, I think that can happen. Um, and certainly um, uh, it, it, the, the emotions that you experience in looking at a work of art might be tightly bound up with your uh, thinking about or imagining how things go together, but a, a plumber can also quite dispassionately take apart, take apart a faucet and put it back together. It doesn't. It isn't always accompanied with any by any kind of emotional reaction. And um, and some puzzles in taking things apart and putting things together can just be, you know, entertaining for us, interesting for us, uh, from a purely sort of. Uh, puzzle-like aspect, uh, geometrical aspect. But, but I think that, the, like, taking apart anything or doing a puzzle or anything like that, you have, a, a, you know, little microseconds of, oh, that fits, oh, that doesn't fit. You, you're having reactions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, bad, good, yeah. bad, through the whole thing. Yeah. It's not it's not ever completely neutral, is it? Oh, I, okay, maybe not, but uh, I'm not sure that that's any part of the value of, of, the, of the activity. Of, it may be, but I don't think that has to be part of the value. Of, uh, of the activity of taking apart the plumbing yeah, or looking yeah. at the artwork. Uh, or, well, uh, either, both. In both cases, oh. I would say that, yes, there are cases in which, um, and, well, there are even, all right, so I said, I want to distinguish between two places for emotion in, I guess, appreciation. Sometimes you need to recognize the emotional um, message of the of the painting in order to appreciate what it's about mm -hmm. uh, and 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 it's e easy and but it would be a mistake to think that in all those cases the value of recognizing that lies in the emotion that uh, are elicited in oneself sometimes um, of course that the elicitation of emotion in, in the viewer is part of what is it's about and, and part of what makes it valuable. 
of course, I mean, this may be easier to uh, illustrate with music. There's sad music, there's happy music, there's music that makes us want to get up and dance, and, and, and it's eliciting those reactions as part of what is valuable to it. But um, a lot of times the only... Uh, um, <clears throat> Peter Kivy used to say this, that the, that the only emotion he experiences when he, he was a formalist, the only, expe I, I, the only ex yeah, emotion he experiences when he uh, uh, listens to a piece of music is how good it is or how bad it is, delighted how good it is or disgusted how bad it is. Um, I, I don't think that's right. But, I can't um, imagine him saying that. Um, um, and, but, um, but, but, I don't, but I do want to say that's, that's not always uh, what it's about. Um, uh, um, and 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 likewise, um, it, you know, um, it the um, uh, it can be part of the function of art to um, to arouse <laughs> nationalistic or other kinds of emotions, and 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 uh, that may be part of what makes it valuable or actually dangerous. But um, uh, that that. That, but that's not always what it's about. There's abs there is painting that is interesting and valuable simply because it portrays an interesting arrangement of surfaces and colors. Do you think that that interesting arrangement of surfaces and colors that we get from looking at art is at all enjoyable to us because it's replaying the same kinds of imagistic cognition that you think operates on an everyday Perceptual. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to describe the. Uh, I, I mean, there's at least intellectual pleasure is not an emotion. Yeah. Okay, but the the the, the pleasure that you derive, or the uh, uh, the maybe it's even a mistake to call it pleasure, your interest in um, observing. Uh, needn't be bound up with emotions at all. So you're you're saying that one could dispassionately, yeah, enjoy. Yeah. Well, let's say appreciate, since the word enjoy already suggests That's some true. kind of you're emotion. Right. You're right. That was you, you can word. use the word enjoy if you like, so yeah. long as it's clear that we're not talking yeah. about a feeling of elation. Yeah. Well, can rumor has it. That you collect ceramics. Oh yeah, your yeah, house must have told me that. Yes, yes. So, can you talk to me about what goes on there? Why do I like ceramics? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's particularly Korean ceramics. Uh, ceramics, although my wife is Korean, and uh, yeah. I discovered Korean ceramics in Korea, and they have a highly developed art form of ceramics there. Um, well, I, I, okay. So this this is a good example, actually. Of good. What I thought, we're talking we, I about. thought because, that was falling because good. because you know it, the aesthetic value there is not uh, in the elicitation of some kind of emotion. You appreciate the beautiful form. I thought you the beautiful that, color, yeah. Yeah. the perfect the, the 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 basically globular but not quite globe like shape of the uh, celadon. Uh, globe. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting, a pleasing deviation from a perfectly globular form. Okay. 
Or I have another one uh, by uh, an artist named Wu Chul. It's also a globe. It's uh, and uh, it's it has it's a, it has basically a gray background, and then he has gashed it with white. Uh, um, he, he's taken his knife and he's just gashed it all over uh, on the surface, and this makes an interesting texture. It just makes up a, 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 a different and interesting texture, and it's laid on top of this globular form, and that there's these straight lines, this interesting texture is laid on top of this otherwise smooth and beautiful globular form. It's just an interesting effect. I call it, my word for it is interesting. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's interesting yeah. in the sense that it um, holds your attention. You want to look at it for a while. You want to touch it. You want to pick it up. Um, um, I yeah. had somebody in this tent one time say to me, that his definition, this ordinary person, that his definition of art was something that stopped you in your tracks. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. thought that was actually an mm -hmm. excellent definition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it sort of takes it out of that like mm -hmm. super emotional, and you just sort of go, now that's worth paying attention to, mm -hmm. right? Another thing that Koreans do with pottery is make interesting glazes. They use crackle glaze. They deliberately yeah. fire it in such a way that the glaze uh, cracks. And uh, it's just a, a very beautiful pattern of cracks laid over uh, this, this pale green color. Um, or, or they may uh, glaze in such a way that the glaze produces a sort of flaky texture. Not flaky texture, but flaky appearance of many layers. And it's just, you can stare at this, yeah. at this, at this, at these <laughs> little layers of flakes in this, in this bowl for a long time. Yeah. Okay. So, so, all right. So that's an excellent example, right? So. Those are things, I agree with you, interesting is quite different than beautiful, is quite different than emotional, right? Well, I would say, no, I mean, sometimes no, it the, be because it's, it's beautiful because it's interesting in this way that holds your uh, attention. But I think that we can find things that are interesting that we don't think are beautiful. No, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. It's a much bigger category. Of course. Yeah. Pure reason by Immanuel Kant is interesting, but it's not beautiful right, at all. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I think that interesting is the is yeah. the genus that yeah. we're looking for yeah. here. Yeah, no, I, 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 but I just, it, it, that, that, um, well, it's it's beautiful because it's interesting in a, in a certain way. It's interesting in the manner of beautiful things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so... So we have this this notion here of interesting, right? Can you can you relate that back to your original thing about imagistic cognition? Might we get a marriage there? Uh, well, okay. So yeah, here's here's an analogy. Um, and imagine that you're listening to a philosophy lecture and it's all discursive. There are no pictures. Somebody's just talking, okay? And um, quite apart from the value of the content, you might appreciate because you think that it was very clear. It was very well organized. It was very... Um, it, it, it appealed to you just in the clarity of the, of the presentation, okay? Mm -hmm. So... Um, even when you're dealing with an intellectual exercise that isn't involving images of cognition at all, there's an aesthetic aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, likewise, it, if we think of uh, mental imagery as a form of cognition, we might expect, by analogy to what I just said, that there would be an aesthetic aspect to it as well. So, maybe 
what I would like to say about those uh, works of art that are interesting uh, just because of the uh, way they depict, uh, the, of the, because of the surfaces and forms they depict and the arrangement and space that they depict, is that they are uh, sort of, they are, they are the aesthetic, they, they display the aesthetic aspect of this uh, cognitive capacity that we have. Maybe we should expect that wherever we have some kind of problem-solving capacity, there's going to be uh, an aesthetic aspect to it. I mean, you, 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 people talk about, about sport this way, too. Yeah. So, you know, um, my wife likes to watch tennis, and uh, she doesn't judge the tennis players just on their ability to win matches. She some she denigrates some tennis players because, yeah, they're, they win, they're powerful, but they don't play in a beautiful way, and maybe a graceful way. Or I don't know what word she would use, but anyway, she doesn't like the way they play. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's an aesthetic aspect to uh, winning a, a, a tennis game that is somehow different from the, uh, the, 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 uh, the effectiveness. Uh, and likewise, uh, maybe in any kind of um, human endeavor that we might uh, imagine, could there be a, <laughs> could there be, you know, beautiful, investments in stock. I don't know. I'm just trying to think yeah, of some yeah, kind yeah, of activity yeah, yeah. where it's hard to imagine that there would be some kind of aesthetic aspect to it. But I would I, I wouldn't, wouldn't we, we don't make a livelihood of investing in stocks might not appreciate this, but I'll bet you among stockbrokers, there are some who they, they who are regarded as, you know, investing in a beautiful way. <laughs> well, you know, mathematicians talk like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. you know, there's, you know, but, but I think all right, so to go back to some of the pictures that you've drawn about imagistic cognition, I'll, I'll give it back to you and then you tell me. It seems that you've almost sort of circumscribed a kind of part of reality so that there's this sort of tight ontological little entity here that exists on its own and is articulated and now has my focus. Right? So it has my focus, it has my attention, it's made me stop in my tracks, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the plumbing, right? Mm -hmm. But when we focus on things imagistically, right, and we sort of see causal relationships and patterns and stuff like that, there's a codified nature to that picture that you're drawing, right? Like it is that thing, that, that cognitive, imagistic cognition is... I don't know. I'm getting an image here where it's, there's a line drawn around it and I'm focusing just on that. What do you right, mean so by codified? It is a thing. Yeah. It is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it is an entity that I'm now focusing on, mm -hmm. right? So it's like I'm foveating on that yeah, thing. Yeah, I've sorted right? it out. I've, I've, made, I've, I've, I've sorted I've, it out. I've made sense of the... I've, I've made sense I've of I've separated... It. I've, uh, I've parsed the scene into parts yeah. and I recognize their spatial relations to one another. So, yeah, and also that you if you if you just if if you think about looking at taking apart a plumbing thing, right, you are phobiating on that and everything else is gone peripheral. Right? You're phobiating on that completely, right? Mm -hmm. So 
in some ways, that is the experience I think that art recreates for us, mm -hmm. is that that is a codified thing in front yeah. of us. It's now taken my attention. Yeah. I'm focusing on it. It's interesting to me, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing the relationship of mm -hmm. the parts, mm -hmm. both the patterns in it and the mm -hmm. causal relationships mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And so I think in some ways it is a recreating of, of what we do every day. Yeah. Does that sound fair? Uh, yeah. Um. I mean, I don't want to suggest that that's the primary purpose of art, or uh, I just I think it would be a mistake to think that there was just one central purpose of art. I think that's probably so, true. So, so, I think that's so, exactly so, right. We want art also to yeah. depict historical events because we're interested in history. I think you're uh, right. And, and, that's, and that, that kind of art that isn't a value because of it, it's it functioning, drawing us in, and making us yeah. forget the world is around yeah. us. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so. Um, but the well, interesting well, thing well, we were talking about yeah. the ceramic, like it has to be interesting, and that interesting thing is part of. Yeah, I think. The well, I, I always like I always like uh, what Kant says about this. That so, now I don't. I'm not a Kant scholar. Um, oh, me neither. He, sa he says <laughs> no, but he says something like something to the effect that uh, aesthetic appreciation consists in the free play of the imagination, and what he meant by it. That you know, Kant had this idea that when we look around, we're constantly trying to apply concepts, and for him, concepts were sort of rules of synthesis. They are the the concept of a dog is a is a is a rule by which I draw myself a picture of a dog, or by which I recognize the thing before me as a dog because it uh, the the image it's I an have of is, the is, is, is is the application of the concept, and so and, but his idea that is an aesthetic appreciation. You're always as you look at it, you're always trying to conceptualize it. You're never quite getting there. You are trying to make sense of it, and you are engaged in trying to make sense of it, but you don't have any, uh, you don't have any ready-made concepts uh, by which you can sort of settle what it is. You, you kept, you kept on the, you kept on the journey. Do you think that's right? I think that applies to some cases. Yeah, I think that applies to some cases. I think that applies to some cases. Um, that that is that is certainly my uh, experience in listening to music. I wish I was better at it. If I knew more about music, then I would be better at it. If I understood more about keys and chords and so forth, but you know, I understand that. Uh, when I'm listening to a piece of music, I should be listening for the repetition of melodies and themes and things like this, and I should be paying attention to how the different sections of the orchestra are playing against one another and so forth. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm trying to, you know, grasp it, categorize it. Okay, this is... <clears throat> this is the same theme as before. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that's seeing patterns. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, but, um, you know, hmm, I wasn't thinking of it, though, as pattern recognition. Um, but I don't know now how to yeah. distinguish between this free play of the imagination, as Carol kind of thinks of it, and pattern recognition. Yeah, I'm not either capable of or inclined to follow you down a current road. But... <laughs> Well, I don't agree with his theory. I don't agree with him the, the concepts of rules of synthesis either. But uh, this idea that your 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 eludes your attempt to pin it down your, uh, is is 
is onto something. This idea that in looking at an interesting piece of work, your your it eludes your attempt to pin it down. Uh, you you you. Um, I think that's true, but but it, but it, I still I think that may be true, but that doesn't make Kant right. Mm-hmm. Are we okay with that one? Well, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. I already said I don't agree with this yeah, yeah. concept. So. I think that's true because you know if you, the, I think one of the main differences between graphic design, for example, and fine art is that graphic design is meant to be instantly understood. You uh, know, it's super clear. This is the message. Uh, oh, right? you mean uh, graphic design is an advertising? Is an advertising, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know. So right. So one of the great things about art is that. It kind of keeps you fully yeah. exploring things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I think you're mm-hmm, right about that. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. But I think that you're right because of what you said before. I think you're right because it makes it interesting. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about looking at that crackle, right? The crackle glaze, yeah. That, is, was it called a crackle glaze? It's called crackle glaze, crackle, yeah. you know, Your face was just like completely alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you had a completely well, different I was picturing face. the Yeah, yeah, I, I could tell that. I could yeah. tell that, right? And so it's it's that... I don't know, you know, what, what word do you use? Emotion, excitement? Yeah. I don't know what, but there's something about, it stops me in my tracks. It mm-hmm. makes me feel alive. Mm-hmm. It makes me be interested. Mm-hmm. It makes me, mm-hmm. but see, and I think that's why at the beginning of your conversation, you were talking that you didn't want to go into the emotion thing because you thought the emotion definition pulled us into, I use the word narcissism, and yeah. you thought that was too extreme, but... Yeah. But, but you see, but the interest, I think, when you're talking about being interested, it takes you out of yourself. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think that you were opposed to the emotion thing because it pulls you inside, whereas you think that art actually ought to go like this. Yeah. I also don't want to deny that art can also have yeah. this function of eliciting emotions. That's true. That may be part right. of what makes it. Valuable. Right. I mean, you want you want yeah. funereal music to elicit sadness. That's its point. Yeah. Uh, you that, that's you play a certain kind of music at a funeral because it helps people feel uh, a certain feel way. Sadness. Yeah. Right. They want to feel sad at a, at a funeral. <laughs> right. But maybe it's the. I didn't, that sounds denigrating. I didn't mean it. That no, way. no, no, no. I understand. Yeah. But maybe it's that um, sometimes you're thinking. And, or I was thinking, one of us was thinking, that emotion in that other kind of way is what we might sometimes call sentimentality, right? So what they call yeah. unearned emotion. Yeah. And so sometimes that's too manufactured. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, and of course, um, we have to distinguish between, this is, a, this is a big question in the philosophy of art, uh, what's the difference between the emotion you feel uh, in uh, watching a movie or looking at uh, and uh, far and genuine emotion it's it's in a certain sense it's not the real thing it's a simulacrum yeah. of the real thing um, you, so you know you, you, you can, the, 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 the classic example is uh, uh, feeling horror in a horror film if yeah. you really felt horror you would leave it's, you don't really feel horror you feel some simulacrum of well the, the, this, is an issue, this is an issue they talk about yeah, yeah. is it a really horror that you can resist because it's a movie or is this merely some simulacrum of horror yeah. that it's not not really horror but but there, is, but there is this right? there is this um, Distance between the of, of some kind between the emotions you feel when you are um, observing or experience a, a work of art and 
emotions you feel in the course of your actual life. But Chris, that's not true with the interest emotion, if that's called an emotion. Yeah, yeah. When you when you look at yeah. that ceramic and yeah. you feel interest, that's right. real interest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe that's mm -hmm. the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it's interesting. I can be interested in that in the same way that I'm interested in some book yeah. I'm reading. <clears throat> that's true, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this was great. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm just like so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Thank you so much for too. all of this. Very this was fantastic. Great questions and great feedback and great elicitation of thoughts. I, I, I from me. I'm not 100% sure kind of where we got to, but I wanted, I wanted to somehow. I'll tell you what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. And then you tell me if you think we got there. I think that you're onto something with this imagistic cognition, mm -hmm. and, and I think that. Um, it could be super valuable in a kind of aesthetic theory. Yeah. And so I wanted to yeah. pull that out of both of us. Yeah. And I think maybe it's in the fact of, of interest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let me recommend you know? to you the work of Rebecca Chamberlain also. She's a psychologist at Gold's uh, University in uh, London. And she uh, works on how artists draw. That's her topic. Oh, how, really? What, how artists think when they, when they draw. Um, and um, I, 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 if you're looking for s sort of a, 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 a place where this topic of intersect, uh, um, interest cognition intersects with um, artistic practice, uh, you might want to look there. We'll I, look, I had we'll a conference uh, uh, a couple months ago in which I invited her to speak. She was very interesting. Okay, great. Rebecca Chamberlain. Rebecca Chamberlain, we'll do it. Okay. All right, thank All you right. so much. Yes, okay. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.